get my notes up here real quick. Alrighty, and welcome back to Real Professional, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals about gaming stuff, all aspects of the industry. And uh, I'm here with uh, a, a verified, certified real professional here today. This is uh, Joel Vilos. He's with Funcom. He's the creative director. And uh, I actually understand that you just got uh, promoted recently. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I have a I have a flashy new title, which is CCO, which is Chief Candy Officer. Yeah. So I like to... <laughs> Mazel tov. But like, you know, that's the thing is that uh, I I actually wanted to start with that because um, a lot of people that are outside of the industry don't realize that there's a lot of acronyms that go along with being in various parts of a company. You know, like or yeah. a, lot, a lot of abbreviations. I mean, like uh, CCO or CFO or CEO. Um, but essentially, like the CCO is the the guy that's the chief, the, the, the like basically a creative director of multiple projects, right? Yeah, I, I think like the the most succinct way of putting it is responsible for the creative vision of the company as a whole. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of the you know like Funcom does a lot of open world multiplayer games these days, and that's kind of our focus. So so the, there's a, a vision element there that needs to be controlled and owned, and that's kind yeah. of the creative. Well, okay, and so this is going to be a kind of a this is an interesting topic because the the creative idea of like what Funcom is as a whole because Funcom has like a few diverse, uh, more than a few, but it has a number of diverse IPs. You know, like you have the Secret World IP, and then you have the Conan IP, and um, they're they're like different, very different styles of game. You know. Oh yeah, and you know we 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 also now have the Dune IP, right? Dune, as you guys say. Oh, the like the 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 Frank Herbert novels. Yep. Oh. Oh my God. Yeah, Jesse just lit up over there. Jesse, <laughs> you want to ask all of your Dune questions? I don't know. I don't know if. Uh, I mean, um, I know there was one Dune game in this style of uh, like Command and Conquer, and that was like twenty years ago. So I I assume it's a uh, you know a secret, but you know if there's anything going on, any new games in the works. I mean, I, I, I think it's safe to say that seeing we, we got the IP this year, that there's definitely stuff going on in the works, but uh, we, we're not really talking about it yet. But it's still, it has been announced that we have the IP. So it's, uh, That's it's enough for cool. me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually played that old Dune strategy game. I thought it was kind of fun. It was uh, back in the, the era where um, strategy games, like there were different sub-factions within basically every faction that you could play in a strategy game. So you could like align yourself with the various different houses. So like the, you could align yourself with the Fremen and then you, you didn't trigger sandworms and stuff. I don't know. It was pretty fun. It was, it's arguably the granddaddy of the RTS genre. It, uh, the, the first one, which was called Dune 2 because of a weird thing where there was a cryo engine game called Dune that came mm-hmm. out. And that was based on the David Lynch movie to a large extent. Um, and then they, they were making this RTS in kind of parallel. And then they released the RTS and they called it June 2, like it was a sequel to the other one, even though it wasn't really anything <laughs> to do with the other one. But it, it was arguably the very first one, I think. Um, See, this the very the first of, RTS. Yeah. These are the kinds of factoids you need to know if you want to be the, the CCO of a major company. you got to <laughs> learn all of the things about the IPs you own. Unfortunately, I'm also old enough to have been there, so I kind of remember, remember playing. So. Yeah, I um, I but that's I think that um, you know what you're talking about with like the 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 fact that like the Dune, uh, RTS was like one of the granddaddies of RTS. 
one of the things I find interesting about RTS is, and I, I just reviewed uh, Phoenix Point, which is a XCOM yeah. thing yep. by the guy that made the original XCOM. Is that like RTSs? They might like look prettier, but like fundamentally, mechanically, they haven't evolved that much over the past like twenty years. It's still just like click drag your unit group, right click on your enemy. Like the fundamental difference between like Warcraft Two and Starcraft Two is like not that different. Right. I mean, that's why they remastered Starcraft One as well because. Yeah. People weren't moving to StarCraft too in, in many ways, in, especially in the you know the bigger market in South Korea. So yeah, yeah, and so. and I, I always find that like sometimes there are RTSs like and I don't want to sound like such like a like a like a philistine here because there are RTSs that do like push the genre forward like Dawn of War two. Like I, I don't know how familiar you are with like the RTS genre as a whole, but Dawn of War two was like a pretty innovative RTS in the sense that it like focused on like small squad combat directional yep. firing, um, set up and tear down times for your units, like a lot of physics went into it. And then uh, with Dawn of War 3, they were like, nope. And then that game like really crashed and burned, which is yeah. unfortunate. I'm actually a really like those guys, the team um, were, were very nice and they clearly were passionate about the project. I just I feel like the there was a, a disconnect between what they want and one of the what the fans wanted. Right. And they have a big one upcoming, if I recall correctly. Dawn of um, War? No, the, not not a Dawn of War game, but the, the company that made the Dawn of War series, Relic, right? Oh, um, well, now it moved over. Yeah, Re- Relic. Uh, so it used to be THQ, and then they're now owned by Sega, but it's right. Relic. Yep. And I think, yeah, I, I I feel like they've announced an RTS, a big one coming yeah, out soon. Hey, shit. Was it Homeworld it's, Three? Maybe not. It, maybe. Oh, is it Homeworld Three? Are they uh, doing Homeworld Three? Maybe it's not them. I don't. I. I. I'm sorry. Yeah, I do follow this stuff, but it's kind of. It all mixes together in my head There's, eventually. There are four billion games coming out every month. <laughs> it's impossible to. Oh no, no, no! They're doing Age of Empires four. Age of Empires, yeah, right. Yeah, that makes um, sense. By the way, there was. I was going to say you mentioned RTS. There's a there's a uh, a game I played recently. It's been out for a while called Northguard, which is like a mm-hmm. slow RTS, which is kind of a different take on that genre, which I really liked as well. Yeah, Northgard um, is one of those, um, it's kind of like Majesty, where you don't yes. control everything individually, you kind of just like set up the, the generals, right? The general is like, not, not the generals in the terms of like uh, a, a military general, but like you, you set up like different functions of the town and the people just kind of go about their, their day, right? Or am I yeah, and you still move units around um, yeah. into, into new zones, but yeah, you're right, you're right, you set up woodcutters and let them run, things like that. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting take, it's a bit slower than your Sort of I like those kinds of games. I, I yeah. really do. I'm I'm a really big uh, like um, waste. Like I, I really love not sleeping and like those <laughs> kinds of games that you can like stay up for like forty hours, like just like kind of grinding through. You know, they're like super fun for me. Yeah, that yeah, so dangerous. Yeah, I I know what you mean. It's just one more, just one more. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, it's not the right attitude for me to have when I have to you know get my kids up in the morning. <laughs> you know, it's like I was like reviewing uh, Phoenix Point, and it was like, okay, well, maybe just one more mission will give me a better grasp of what this game is. Maybe just one more. Well, maybe I should go back and play XCOM Two now just to refresh myself. And like all of a sudden, like a week later, I'm like in this pit of like tactic strategy, and like my hair is like like over my eyes, and like I can't even see anymore. Yeah, it's a danger. Did you guys did you play Mutant Year Zero? That was one we released. Yeah, um, I did play Mutant Year Zero. Um, so yeah, we published I, I that. Thought, yeah, I thought Mutant Year Zero... Oh, yeah, I guess we should talk about Fungum games at some point, right? <laughs> That's kind of the point. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was Zero... just going to say, because I played that one a lot more than I played... Um, I played XCOM 
2 when it came out, which has been a while. And then I played Mutiny Zero, obviously, quite a lot because we're working with it. So that's the most... I haven't actually played Phoenix Point yet, so <laughs> didn't get the to it. The thing I really liked about Mutiny Zero um, is that the dice are really simplified because, like, those tactical-style games are just always going to be, like, a dice roll. And, yeah. um, like, at some point, the dice are going to come into it. And... Um, Mutant Year Zero was like very simple. It's like 100%, 75%, 50%, 25% based on various different factors. And it was very easy to understand why you were getting the various dice that you were getting. Yeah. And um, yeah, I much prefer that to the, the XCOM format where there's like 15 different factors that are all like leading into a 91% where you're going to miss and then have to uninstall the game in range. <laughs> oh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. I like that. Mutant, I like that. And the blend of sort of going from stealth, like positioning and then popping out and you know sort of dealing with people in an ambush it was it was almost like a puzzle meets yeah. the strategy elements right it was it was fun well and that's that's the that's exactly true and that's one of the things i really liked about it is that um you know in it, it as much as it was clearly not as high of a budget as the uh uh, uh xcom games because those have like 500 people working on them or something yeah um, it's like, like seven or eight guys in sweden yeah <laughs> It made up for what it, it, it lacked in like graphics and um, like high concept polish in, in fundamentals, and the fundamentals yep. were like super super solid in the game. Absolutely, that was I didn't cool. feel like there were any useless abilities. It felt like all the characters had their own kind of uh, like set style and like their own feel. And I, I really, I don't know. I thought the game was was really good. But, yeah, uh, no, I, I I enjoyed it as well. Those guys, um, the bearded ladies, it's the company that made it in Sweden. They're, I mean, they were really. Both, both, you know, they're pretty experienced. Uh, they're mostly, um, I think they're ex-Payday people, ex-IO interactive people. So Hitman, Stealth Guys. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, so so they, they kind of knew what they were doing, and they were, they were pretty passionate about it. It was cool to work with them. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it to anyone that's listening that hasn't played, that likes tactics games and, you know, has only really ever played, like, the, the big ones like Fire Emblem or XCOM. Um, the, the sense and style of it. And it's the, it's the fact that it's based on this old tabletop game from like 400 years ago or something it's actually uh chaucer wrote it you know when he was doing the canterbury tales he also wrote the mutant years <laughs> wrote first in swedish during his extended travels into sweden he wrote the mutant years tome and left it behind uh yeah um <clears throat> So uh, let's 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 wrap it back around to uh, one of the intellectual properties I really wanted to talk uh, the most about when I, I knew I had the chance to talk to you, which is uh, secret secret world stuff, because uh, secret world stuff is is super interesting, and um, I, I I don't know I just like to talk about it because it's so different and weird and it's like an MMO and then there's these offshoot games and <laughs> that's cool yeah no I I, I was. Um... I was lead content designer on the Secret World, and I was game director on Secret World. So I and and yeah, so and creative director as well. So it's it's my baby. I love that game. So let's go there. That's fine. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I know that you had some questions about Secret World, and uh, I'll I'll step back for a moment and let you shine my little my little diamond. Well, I was just wondering, like how how you go about deciding what offshoots you want to go you want to pursue because the secret world has so many different directions that it goes in. It's like, um, I only played it for a bit. Uh, my computer, uh, unfortunately was not very good and continues to not be very good. Uh, 
Um, and Secret World's notoriously heavy on certain CPUs as well. Yeah, um, especially uh, CPUs built during the 1800s, like mine. <laughs> yeah, I know how I know how it is when you got to put a bit of oil in them to keep them going. I get but, it. But uh, it's it's just like I just remember it being like this huge mash of all these mythologies. There was a Illuminati, the Templars, um, and like dozens and dozens of different areas and side stories. Um, I haven't been keeping up with uh, the offshoot games, but I think it's really cool that you're making these offshoot games. Like it's really becoming its own, well, not cinematic universe like Marvel, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I mean... Like a series, I guess, yeah. Yeah, we, well, we, we do treat it a bit. We actually call it the Secret World Universe in a way. So, because uh, the premise of Secret World was um, sort of the tagline is everything is true, right? Which which basically means that there's nothing that can't fit into this fantasy to a certain extent. Um, and we, when we were, like Ragnar Tornquist was the original, you know, progenitor and creative director on the project. And he's a, he's a, he's a man with a lot of really, really good ideas. Um, and he taught me a lot. <laughs> Working with him was really fun. Um, and he had a lot of, yeah, he had a lot of ideas about what to do and how, you know, he, he was a, a fan of um, creating mystery for players. Like the, there's the Abrams mystery box thing, right, which I guess is getting hammered right now because of Star Wars. But um, but there is something to that approach as long as you kind of have a plan behind what's in the box eventually, right? Yeah, that's, that's so, Abrams' fault is that he doesn't, like, he, he sets up this very pretty box, but he has no idea what's in it. Yeah, and I, I think that's... I think that's uh, I think that's where that approach can fall apart. But I think what Ragnar was sort of approaching it from was like, how do we create this really deep sense of mystery for players? Um, uh, one and, other and, thing. And, oh, sorry. One um, <laughs> uh, other thing to mention about the new Star Wars is that uh, it was flip-flopping between directors. And so you'd have J.J. Uh, yeah. Abrams mm-hmm. uh, pursuing one vision and then the other guy would be like, uh, no, actually, we're going this other direction. And, you know, I recognize that, you know, it's got to be a work of dozens of people, but ultimately it's got to be the creative vision of people who are on the same agreement, like the same understanding of what the, like, you know, the story is going to be. It's kind of interesting because you see, you can, you can see it in games and you can see it in movies when they're sort of designed by committee, right? Yeah, exactly. Like like you, you kind of. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen the new Star Wars. I've only been sort of reading the reaction to it yet, so I, I won't say too much about it because I haven't seen it. But I, th- I think the, the, the sort of the feeling that I've gotten from just looking at the way Star Wars has been handled, like I loved Fallen Order. I loved the new Jedi game. I really enjoyed it. Um, but it feels like that game had a pretty clear vision. I'm not sure the movies have had, the, th- the trilogy at least, has had a, a clear vision for exactly what it wants to be. You know, so, funny, funny story. You're talking to uh, the guy probably that gave it the lowest score of anyone I know. Jesse oh, here man. gave it a two and a half out of five. He did not like Fallen Order. I mean, well, that's fair enough. I mean, not everyone likes everything either, right? It had a lot going for it. Like the combat was really good. Um, you know, I liked the concept. Uh, I just thought like the the story seemed a little flat some of the mm. times. Um, I guess it was more disappointing like i expected more from it but you know ultimately i had fun um you know yeah, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't played a 
I like I really like the old Jedi Academy and Jedi Knight series. So I'm you know, it's, and and obviously Knights of the Old Republic, both one and two are kind of classics. Um, but I haven't really had a good Star Wars game for a long time, so there was also that element. But I also just am a general fan of the kind of I like I I I like cinematic games like Uncharted and. I'm kind of, you know, those are the, I, I really enjoy those. If there was 10 of those a year, I'd buy all 10. If, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean, it's kind of, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I, because they're not, they're not a game that I need to commit a hundred hours to. I can get through them, you know, in 20 hours and I'm done. And I enjoyed the experience and it was, you know, it was fun. So yeah, I, 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 I can certainly see. And, you know, I had, there are people at work, you know, who absolutely hated it because they don't like, for example, the platforming elements of Fallen Order or they, that, you know, some people aren't into the combat. And it tried to do a lot of things for a lot of people, that game. So, um, and, and, you know, some people who don't like certain elements just didn't want to play it. So, you know. For sure. I mean, well, also, I, at the end of the day, uh, reflecting a laser back into a stormtrooper's dumb face will never not be cool. And <laughs> that's something they can never take away from, from us. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, you know, I haven't played uh, Fallen Order myself, but, like, I've been doing this job for quite a long time now, so when I see, like, <clears throat> I see the cycles that other people don't see. So, like, it's an EA game. Every, like, five years, EA is like, okay, we got to release, like, a couple good single-player games so that people remember that, like, we can do good stuff. And, like, when Mirror's Edge and Dead Space came out, it was when they were having that cycle of EA games that were good single-player games. Uh, they recently released uh, Sea of Solitude, which kind of came out in the off-season. Every once in a while, EA releases like some indie games when they did that. Like uh, I think Unraveled was an EA yep. uh, property, and then uh, Sea of Solitude. And then here's Fallen Order, and everyone's like, oh my god, EA can make good single-player games. I'm like, does everyone forget Dead Space? That, just, like, that wasn't that long ago that that happened. Well, um, even wrapping it around, that was the EA Originals label, and they published The Secret World, so... Really? Yeah, they published uh, the Secret World physically. They did. They handled physical distribution. We did digital, but they handled uh, physical. I was at the, I I was on stage at the EA Summer Showcase, and what was hilarious was that I was, I was uh, sitting next to, um, Mr. Wilson, who's from Australia, as am I. So I just sort of said g'day because he was another Aussie, and I. I eventually realized that uh, I eventually realized that he became the CEO of an e- of EA, and I went, "Oh, oh, that was that Australian guy I met. That was cool." <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were Australian or South African. <laughs> well, I'm not South African, my friend, because I South don't. Know, I remember where I parked my car. Where did you park <laughs> your car? Yeah, you've got to, you've got to put a little more emphasis on the the or sound. So, yeah, I think I'm gonna just be terrible at accents, and that's fine. <laughs> That'll be like my thing. See, that's the thing is like when you when you when you set up your personality as being terrible at things, there's like no expectations, and you can just keep being bad forever. <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good approach. Yeah, it's like the, the guy who said he was too lazy. He was too lazy to make his muscles work too hard, so he trained all the time so that his muscles. It's one of the Terry Pratchett stories. <laughs> it's like, it's like this really guy funny. was so lazy that he was in really good shape because he's he didn't want his muscles to have to overwork, and if he was fat, he would have to carry too much weight, etc. <laughs> it's pretty so, true. I, yeah. I used to be way fatter than I am now, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> um, uh, but I was I was more of thinking about those like bad gamers on YouTube who are like are intentionally bad so that twelve year olds clap and laugh. <laughs> if I ever become one of those, just like I'll email you my address so that you can <laughs> send the Terminator back in time to kill me before that happens. Well, there was but, a journalist uh, put out a video of him failing at Cuphead. As I recall. Oh my God! Yes, it's and I feel bad for that guy because at, at, in it, there's part of me that understands because 
you go to E3 and you're playing a game you've never played it before. But well, like, I intentionally uploaded it too, so I mean, I think he knew what was coming. I imagine. Yeah. Or, or he just needed the content, and the uh, the the producers were like, "You have to put this up," you know, because that, that does <laughs> sure. happen. Um, In all fairness, the, same- uh, the guy did later like write a review, being like, "Yeah, I was I was bad at it. Feel free to laugh." And then later uploaded a video of him actually completing the level. So for that, I you know. Yeah, that's it cool. happens if Hero's you're not journey. used to platformers. And then, but, <laughs> Hero's Journey. <laughs> um, and then there, uh, you remember that uh, that first like that IGN video of uh, uh, Doom from 2000. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like the guy <laughs> who like cannot shoot a single single demon. Was he it playing was with a controller? <laughs> I think <laughs> he was. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Playing with a controller with one hand. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do remember that. I remember yeah. talking about it at work because it's, it's kind of you see those things at work, like in a in a professional setting when you see that kind of stuff and you're like, oh, these people are going to review our game, like, <laughs> and you're like, like did we overestimate again by making the game too hard? Like, or you know, you just don't know, right? It's like, yeah, no, he was just playing on the Stadia. Hey, oh, burn! <laughs> oh, I, I don't think it's. It might be available in Norway. I don't know. I haven't tried it. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, are, wait, are you in Norway? Yeah, sorry. No, Funcom's a Norwegian company. I I chased my girlfriend. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I chased my girlfriend here in like the early 2000s and uh, then eventually got the job at Funcom. And now I'm married and have two children. So I'm, I'm, I'm in Oslo forever, I guess. Same person that you chased in Norway? Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. Wow, look at you go, living your dreams. I'm doing the same I'm doing the same thing kind of, but I don't want to reveal too much personal information because I don't want to get anyone that I like am romantically interested in and doxxed. So <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and like let that lie. Um uh, what the fuck were you even talking about? I, I think I was gonna bring it back to Mutant Year Zero or something. Something about expectations. Oh Secret yeah, World. I remember oh. Secret World, expectations, EA, all that stuff. Um so uh, the interesting thing is, is that like uh, the point I was making is that uh, you know we I, I kind of know what to expect from EA, which is like a very 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 pretty game, and like they are capable of making good games. And I I don't I don't like to shit on EA as much as the rest of the industry does, um, even though they are like uh, evil. But uh, no, I'm, they're not evil. <laughs> they're they're they're, they're metrics driven, right? So the the they're. <laughs> they're, they're not evil, but they're a business, and they treat it. It's it's very right. seriously a spreadsheet, right? And and I think people want to they want to fall in love with the story of this is art. Yeah. And, and but when you when you're responsible for you know however many people's jobs EA are, I I think what they take is perhaps a, a, the responsible approach, even you, though you know it's like yeah, <laughs> even though you're you, not going to get too much innovation out of it, right? That's EA the, is just the lightning rod. You know, it's right. like you have an industry overall that's approaching things more as a business more over time. Yeah. And EA is just going to be like, it's like, it's like, is, is Todd Howard himself responsible for every bad thing that comes out of Bethesda? If a, if a DLC like releases a month late or like is a little bit buggy upon launch, which it will be because it's a Bethesda game. <laughs> is that Todd Howard's fault that he sit there and program in the bugs himself? No, of course not. But like, he's the lightning rod because he's the guy on stage and EA is kind of... Sure. They're the guy on stage saying, hey, we make the sports games, we make the the stuff. But now it's, you know, really should more be Activision because they're the ones that are uh, the actual, they're the, they're the man behind the throne, they're the evil ones. But uh, 
Mm-hmm. The, the worm tongue whispering poison into the gaming industry's ear. I should stop. I really need to stop shitting on these companies that are super nice to me. Like, I know the Activision people, they're always very nice to me, and I'm always saying these things, and they're always like, why do you hurt me like this? <laughs> I don't well, know. I mean, I'm the bad know, guy. I think, I think, uh, I think, for example, Blizzard, when they, when they announced Diablo 4 now, I mean, I think that's a real, you can see they're taking a real approach to addressing, you know, what people want. I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's so hard. I like, like, I've sort of, I started out as a quest designer at Funcom. And at every rung of the ladder, I see more than I used to see. And I kind of go, Oh, oh, like these guys weren't making decisions to be assholes. They were making decisions because X, Y, and Z pressure, right? Or this came from this angle. Mm-hmm. And I, I find, you know, I've just started on this CCO job, but suddenly I'm aware of more things than I used to be aware of as well. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, like, yeah, I just thought you made this decision because you're a dick, but now I sort of get why you did it, right? And it's yeah. it's like, I, I I feel like, yeah, it's just I don't know enough to judge people like that, right? And and I know people who've worked at um, Activision, Blizzard, EA, and, you know, when they come to Funcom and we talk about things, they're like, you know, I really liked being a part of a well-oiled machine, but I was a part of the machine. It was a, right. you were a cog, right? And and I think that's, you know, I'll, I'll bring it back to Funcom a little bit. I think that we're small enough still that people feel that they're a bigger gear in the in the machine, so they can make a, yeah. a more of a difference to what we what we make. And yeah. uh, it's it's a balance, I think. Yeah. So there are two kind of offshoots I have to this question uh, to your statement. The first, I'll go with the 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 bigger cog in a uh, smaller machine first, which is that um, Funcom is in this kind of interesting spot where it's not. It's certainly not the the small indie studio like you you know say small indie games, but uh, it's also not big enough to be the the dark overlord yet. It's kind of this mid level games yeah. company, which is it's a, it's a it's a rough spot in the industry to be because you don't have the the pass of oh it's an indie game so we can get away with all this bullshit that we can't program out or we can't fix or we can't pretty up but you also don't have the the billions of dollars to make the next call of duty you know right so as yeah. a as a guy that's basically uh responsible for the the you're the you know the creative officer for all these different titles how do you manage uh fans expectations with the realities of budget like how does that all work mm-hmm. um <laughs> it's interesting it, it depends on the game like uh, secret, I, I, like Funcom hasn't always been. I, I would say that we were pretty AAA when we were doing Secret World, for example. We had, I want to say, 300, 400 people working on that game, um, which is you know pretty big. Uh, and I think we, you know, we we spent in the tens of millions on it at least. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, but but I think um, on Conan Exiles, for example, we were thirty people. Right, which shows a bit how the company changed during that period from Secret World to Conan Exiles. Um, and I guess, like, uh, f- for me, it's always sort of like the problem is always overscoping. People want to do too much every time. And, uh, and I think, like, in terms of what players come, so I guess I can put it like this as a, as, as one of the things that I identify that I think Funcom does almost uniquely, not, 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 the only company that does it, but we do it in a really good way is that we create very interesting worlds mm-hmm. for people and, and we flesh them out. I think uh, the secret world is a perfect example of that. I think that the Conan universe, the IP, like 
we 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 got an IP that was like a comic book, um, mm. for the most part, comic book, and you know, obviously the original Howard stories, and we we fleshed out what that could be in the gaming space, um, and I think we create these sort of interesting worlds, and I think that fans of Funcom and Anarchy Online is the same, right? We built this very interesting science fiction universe, and we did a, a lot of world building around it, and I think that the fan expectation of a Funcom game is that there's going to be some depth to the universe that it, that it takes place in. I also think that's why we're a good fit for the, the Dune license. Um, but I, 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 I think like trying to balance, um, you know, <laughs> if you want, all you can do is put your best foot forward and be honest with people. So, so for example, if, if our game has bugs, it's just to say we have bugs and we're working on fixing them if they're there, if we can, right. Or what's, what's there to fix. Um, and we always try to deliver the fantasy that people expect from the world we're creating. So I think, you know, Conan games are, there's a, there's a specific fantasy associated with that. And I always try to make sure that we, we have a set of guidelines we follow to try and deliver that fantasy to players. Um, the secret world is a different style of fantasy, but there's a fantasy there for people as well. So I, I guess it's just kind of that, that's the approach. Um, I don't know about like, in terms of like visuals, we always do as, as good as we can. In terms of like, 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 no, but I mean, we, we always aim high, right? To try and make things look good. Right. Um, but, but, you know, are we ever going to have the 400 people and, you know, 20 of them are just polishing the run cycle of every enemy or whatever? No. I mean, that's not going to happen. But we try to, you know, we try to do a good, you know, I, I would say it like this. Call of Duty probably do, um, or at least there's a sort of, there's a sort of rule of thumb in game development that like the first 90% takes 50% of the time. And then the mm-hmm. last 10% takes the other 50%. Yeah, and I would say we're 90% the hell out of a lot of things at Funcom. And then we go back and try to – maybe we get to 95%, but we don't manage to get always to 100% like the big companies do. And I think yeah, that's, that's just – that's really that's interesting. I, I really like that, that that whole we 90% the shit out of things. Like that's really, really – that's that's a really – it's a succinct way to put some of the times what I what I say about these – mid-sized companies which is that you you can see just through the cracks but not enough to uh destroy my experience so here's an example of uh i was playing moons of madness right yeah and um moons of madness is a very it's a narrative directed it's a very direct game there's not a lot of uh the there's parts where you can like kind of explore around but you're pretty on rails for most of the game and uh there's not a lot of extra stuff to distract you from the the directed narrative, uh, there's these like uh, there's, there's the logs you can find on the computers, but it's not like a lot of other horror games. You're not going to be like hunting for notes under desks and stuff for most right. of the game. Yeah. Uh, I got to the 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 last segment of the game where um, uh, Shubnigaroth has has just ascended from the black the woods. No, uh, <laughs> things happen, and I don't want to spoil it, but. Um, you're 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 going up this this abandoned Mars base, and uh, there's a there's a cabinet that you can open, and there's there's but you can't. It's like locked. And I was like, well, am I gonna find something that unlocks it? Uh, and then you just never do anything with it. And I went, oh, mm-hmm. this was a that was a a asset that was originally going to be used for something else that they put into here, and they just. Like, this is just something that never got, like, they never removed the interactivity for the, the, the cabinet or whatever. 
And like, that's one of the cracks that you can see, but yep. it doesn't like ruin my overall experience. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's yeah. something that I, I don't like to bring up to game creators themselves because they see that and they're like, Oh God, why didn't I fix that one thing? You know? Yeah, of course. It's, it's one of the, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's always the same when you play your own games, but, uh, yeah. but, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like we might, <laughs> that probably slipped through the cracks and, and dude, Moons of Madness, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how much I should say about it, but like the end of that game was put into the game three days before launch. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I mean, <laughs> like it's, that was an insane last period of that, yeah. getting that game out on time. And, and, you know, there's always these discussions around because, because that's another side of it, right? Like there's business concerns. Like that was a Halloween game. That game was supposed to be delivered for Halloween. And, you know, three weeks before launch, everyone's sitting there going, is this going to be ready for Halloween? Like, mm -hmm. ooh, sort of thing. And, um, and we, we got there, but there were certainly compromises, right? And, and as a, you know, you have to be, I think, I think like w when you're indie and you don't have an income, it's okay to spend as much time as you need because the, the upside is really strong. But when you're, when you're sort of mid tier, you're kind of like, well, I got to pay, you know, we got to pay people and we've got to, we got to get food on the table. And <laughs> is the marketing window in Halloween for a horror game much better than the marketing window for a horror game in December or, you know, mm. and of course it is. So it's kind of this, there's all these discussions that happen, um, which are not just game development discussions, which is kind of interesting, right? So. Yeah. No, and that's, that's actually, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's 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 hard to juggle that especially when you yourself are a creative person because um you know i've had this conversation with uh jesse a number of times when we're standing outside waiting for podcasts to start because <laughs> I, I i always say like you know as much as you might have a negative impression of this large company he has this quote from the grapes of wrath that he loves to read about the the company being larger than the man mm. um like people that get into games do it because they're like creative people that want to tell the best story and make the best game. And it's really, really rough as someone who cares about the product, uh, not even the product that cares about the, 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 the story and the experience to then have to view it as a product and be like, guys, we got to release in October. What are we doing? Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah but we want to tell this bigger story. And it's like, no, we can't do that. And that, that always sucks to try to balance the two. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's a, it's a continual, um, push and pull. Like, like when I've been on pro projects as a creative director, there's a producer and the producer is responsible for the budget and there's always a push and pull. And it's, it's kind of fun um, because it, it can be like, I think, I think creativity flourishes in a framework to begin with. I think that's, you know, that's kind of common knowledge, but it's, it's uh you can kind of tell when, when games haven't had that or when people have been given too much, um, too much of a, let's say leeway and money. Um, but I, uh, like, but I, I think like, um, the, the tension is always good because it forces you as a creative to, to grind down your ideas to their smallest form. Just like, with, you know, if you want to take the Hemingway style of writing, it's about, you know, reducing the sentence to its purest form. Um, that, that still tells what you need it to tell. I think that it's the same with when you have a constraints, it pulls you down, but still, but still it's always hard every time. Like it's, it's, it's never fun to release something or just to be like, you know, I made a list of 50 things that we need to fix, um, before we launch. And then you play the game and you're like, damn, we got 48 of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, and 
Sorry. No, no, go ahead. It's no, like, I was just going to say, it's like, that's, that's always the, I think, like, frustrating. Or, or when you see usability things that you should have picked up that you're like, oh, you know, like, uh, the park is a perfect example. Like, when we, look, when we, when we made the park and tested it, it was perfectly fine to read the notes in the game. And then we saw Twitch streamers playing on big screens and the font was just horrible for them to read notes <laughs> of, right? And they're like, you can see them squinting at their screens and you're like, oh, and of course we're all playing on, like everyone at work was playing on monitors right in front of their face. Like they're, they're you know, you know, half a meter from the monitor, a meter from the monitor maximum. And, and then you see these streamers playing and you're like, oh my goodness, like, damn. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and when you see stuff like that, it's just frustrating because you're like, oh, that's such an easy thing to fix. It, it, it would have taken, you know, a couple of days max to get some, you know, to get an, an actual, you know, proper font reading set up in there for people. And, and we just, it's like, oh, I didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I think, I think creatively, I think, yeah, it's just, you, you're frustrated by those things. But I, I, I always feel like, I always tell this to the designers at Funkum as well. It's kind of my, the, one of the drums I beat is like, I always feel sorry for the people who have to play our games. Right? <laughs> because, because if you have that attitude when you go into it, then at least you like, you, you're going to be kind of like, Oh, it's not, no, that stupid player didn't play my game properly. You're going to be like, Oh man, I'm really sorry, dude. <laughs> I didn't make that clear enough for you. Or, you know, you try yeah. to have that compassion for people. Although it is, there are times where you like, <sighs> I, I think most gamers are dumb, like they're kind of horrible idiots, and uh, <laughs> it, and like being being friends with a lot of game designers, like the shit that they have to go through to like make their game accessible to even like the most uh, the, the, the 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 most uh, how, how do I say this without getting canceled? Um, just idiots, <laughs> just like the worst idiots, and it's like um, uh, I was doing the the Blair Witch demo in in San Francisco. They flew some press out to do the demo. And they were like, wow, you're like one of the few people that like finished it. And I was like, really? It wasn't that hard. Like, it's like, it's a, it's an on rails horror game. How do people not finish it? Or when I did Mutant Year Zero, when I did Mutant Year Zero E3, that demo, um, I, 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 I beat it. And they were like, oh man, you're the first person today to beat it. I'm like, my appointment was at like 3 p.m. (laughs) I was like, close to the end of the day. I was like, really? Like, it wasn't that hard. No. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tough, right? Like that's, that's, for example, that's, that's a, a thing you can't know. Like we made Conan Exiles. That's a survival game. Survival games yeah. are notoriously unfriendly, right? Like they, they, they're kind of like, yeah, you're going to die of thirst. You're going to die of hunger. You know, yeah. just, just do something or die. Right. I mean, and when I played Ark, um, which was sort of when I was playing that before we made Conan Exiles, I was like the first couple of times I spawned. At, in the middle of the night in a lightning storm and got eaten by a dinosaur in the dark because I couldn't <laughs> see anything. It was like pitch black. I was just so frustrated. I was like, this is this is seriously the stupidest game I've ever played. Why are we making a game like this? Right? <laughs> and then and then, you know, over time I learned to love that. But it's 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 kind of I'm I, I'm I'm a bit old school, right? Like I I've, I've been playing. That sounds very cool. That sounded weird. Um, but I'm I'm old. Let's just say that. And I've yeah. been playing games for a long time. And I feel like something we, we're starting to lack in some of the bigger AAA games, and something that I think Funcom games still come with, is just friction. Like games that add a little bit of friction to to your experience. Like like the, the Assassin's Creed games now are so polished and smooth, right? 
and there's almost no friction in your experience. And and like I think Dark Souls provided a friction for people mm, that makes people. Yeah. I, I think there's I think there's like something to this, um, this level of fr- like just and and I think like people ask me why do you think survival games are so popular? I think because survival games are friction. That's what they are. Yeah, when you force a player to learn your rule set and like kind of uh, re- rewire their brain into working into your world, like that is something that sticks with you. I mean, I'll play a Dark Souls game, and um, I, I will have trouble remembering when I start moving to another game that X is attack instead of R1. <laughs> like it so rewires your brain into yep. the the dissonance, the cognitive dissonance between your hand and the controller. It all becomes one because it's forcing you to kind of kind of merge with the character in the game. Uh, I just made Dark Souls like the least fun game now by making it so wanky in my description, but <laughs> you, your soul's entwined and you become one with the, the dark inside becomes the dark represented on the screen. Yeah. No, but it, like you, you, you have to like survival games. It's like once you figure out that like, this is what I need to do in order to make my ax so that I can make my house to live. Like there's a, there's a satisfaction in that because you have overcome something and then you have an investment in the world and like, this is mine, you know? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It I think that's given. actually really powerful. Oh, um, so I have a fun, fun. I have a fun Conan story. So the, back in uh, beta, when it was like first being released, this is even before the new combat system and stuff. So yeah, before you could climb. Access, yeah. Yep. Before you could climb. Haha. Mm-hmm. So this will this will date it. Um, me and my buddies, uh, we got a few press codes for it. Uh, so we started uh, playing it, and um, we we all decided because you can the the dong slider to be minimum, <laughs> like zero <laughs> on the yep. dong. Yeah, so like you have this very very small penis, and we would all run around without pants on and gang people. So we were like known on this server as the small dong gang that would like like do the most anal shit. And uh, and funny yeah, enough, we, that's what we call ourselves in real life. Yeah, we, as, yeah, we Jesse and I we fist bump and we're like small dong gang go. We 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 had that conversation at work when we added the dong slider. We actually said. There are only two settings that are going to be used on this: either full or zero. Like it, we zero. we knew, we kind of knew. <laughs> yeah, I want to just like there is like a special like it. Basically, I think that we should have it so that every every person, uh, they're allowed to use the dong slider, and if they actually make their dong slider representative of their actual dong, that's the only way they can be the president of the United States because like <laughs> then we know that they're all. <laughs> Like that's like the sword in the stone. That's the modern sword in the stone. Is the honest dong slider. It's like you can't tell them that's the experiment. But like, because we all know like Donald Trump would like pay someone to make an extra mod that makes it so that his dong can be even bigger in the game. You know, it's like you don't think he's you don't think he's paid someone in real life to do that already. <laughs> um, I, I've heard that that surgery makes it so that you can't get fully erect, which would explain a lot of his personality. And, ah. Uh, hmm. Getting political on our video game I'm, podcast. I mean, no way. I have I have zero to do with your politics over there. I just find it mildly amusing from from afar. Well, what Jesse I and I are uh, uh, Jesse and I are socialists. <laughs> no, Norway is pretty socialist, but like there's there are some very unpleasant and annoying things about Norway that uh, that Norwegians don't talk about. So it's kind of interesting. We can have that conversation one day, but not on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> maybe good. when we have our offshoot podcast uh, about Jeffrey Epstein called <laughs> uh, You Don't Have to Masturbate to Everything, which is a <laughs> old school callback joke to one of our first episodes. So a long time <laughs> listeners will appreciate their, they've been uh, blowing up my DMs. No one's DMed me about that. Don't worry about it. Was it uh, a 34 episode? <laughs> 
What were we even talking about? Do you even remember, Jesse? Um, I don't remember. Some game where, like, like you know, like a dead or alive game where, like, they were, oh, like, we were we maybe... were talking about the games that were going to be uh, talked about at XO nineteen, right? And uh, this was months yeah. ago. <laughs> Something like that, and it was some game. Oh, uh, is it is it wrong to hit on girls in a dungeon or something like that? Was the name of the game? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that's coming back to me. <laughs> it's like uh, peering through the veil. It's like uh, <laughs> it's when we do these. It's like I enter into a blackout and then I I, I wake up. Speaking of blackouts, I was playing Conan Exiles and uh, I used to play this game very drunk because it was the the most enjoyable way for me to grind. Um, I no longer I no longer imbibe in the substances, but. Uh, I, I was right after the patch where you had introduced like dungeons. Um, and there was the one, there's the one dungeon that you had to sacrifice a person on this altar to get into. And then you fought a big old snake thing. Correct. Uh, yeah. And it was like one of those things where like they hadn't announced that that was like in the game yet. They just had like kind of stealth released it. And I, I just kind of like figured it out by finding this note and sacrificing the dude. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Like we figured this out. So we like, loaded up all of our like arrows and stuff and like we go down in to fight the giant snake um and then like we're and that's descending into the moment that's dungeon that's the moment i watch <laughs> and i wake up the next day and uh, i have like loot from it but i have no recollection of the boss fight apparently we killed it while i was blackout drunk so all of you fucking nerds out there that can't fucking beat the bosses in your stupid video game i did a blackout drunk to get on my fucking level but my other point is that uh, was that boss fight cool? Because I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 okay. I think it's I think it was maybe at the time you played it, it was probably a little bit broken. So I I think I remember it being broken, but that's uh, most of the game was very broken at that point. Yeah, yeah. Early access was a fun fun experience. Um, let's put it that way. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So did Conan Exiles make money? I was always curious about that. Uh, yeah, the most money any Hong Kong games ever made, I think. Really? That's yeah. good. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know exact numbers or anything, but it's, uh, I know, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly millions of copies, I think. So. I was, I, cause I was like, I, I really like this game and I, I really liked what they're doing with it. Like the, like there's so many cool things in that world, like the pirate ship full, like on top of yeah. a mountain. Yeah. This like, cool. is so cool. Um, and I was really worried that it wouldn't like do well when I was playing it, because. Um, but I guess people uh, love their dogs. Well, and I think. Um, yeah, I think it has that that fantasy element. I think people like Conan. I think people like the universe. I think we could make twenty games in that universe, and people would still like it because there's a fantasy there that that isn't really fulfilled in other other games. Like even you know you can say Skyrim. Um, but Skyrim is a high fantasy game and going into a low fantasy game. And so uh, well, there's, there's a difference in approach, I think. I love the new run of the Conan comics. And I, I, I mean, yeah. like, new run, I'm by new, I mean, like, within the last 12 years, because I started reading them in college with, like, the Frost Giant's Daughter was, like, the... the oh, the Dark Horse one? ones? Yep. Yeah, but Marvel are doing Conan now again. You know that? Oh, I didn't know that, but I'm talking about the old new run when they had... Yeah, the Kurt uh, Busiek stuff. It's some of the best, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was that was really, really like the stories were fucking great and um, mm. very dark, very adult. And I love Conan as a character because his solution is, um, I I'm just gonna hit it harder than it can hit me. <laughs> I'm just gonna punch so, ever harder. I've done a lot of 
I've done a lot of sort of character diving with Conan because he's 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 a guy that I've been I've written you know, lots of dialogue for him over the years, um, and he's kind of if you want to think about things like there's the Alpha Wolf, mm-hmm. right? And if you're in Conan's pack, if you're part of his pack, he will protect you to death. Yeah. But if you're not part of his pack, then he doesn't see you as anything worth anything, right? That's and people are like, oh, he's kind of cruel and Conan's kind of evil, and I'm like, no, you're either in his pack or you're not. That's yeah. kind of, and 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 the interesting, I think, fascinating thing about Conan is that he goes from kind of he starts out as like a lone wolf, and eventually becomes, you know, his wolf pack becomes an entire kingdom, and he's the well, king of that kingdom, right? And that's yeah, that's, that's what's cool about him, right? Like it's like his kingdom gets attacked, and then he is like the wolf that will defend his kingdom, right? And I I just sort of I, I really admire that character. I really like the way he's been sort of built up and you know he's uh you know the time period he was written in sure you know it's pulp writing and it's but it's ah, i don't know i think it was there's there's such a clarity of vision in that particular yeah he has a character arc which is like kind of rare for modern comics which are usually like this is this vision of this character like this is dark batman or this is like communist superman (laughs) it's like it's like all the characters can be described in like two words whereas conan if you read the comic he has an arc, like he, like you're saying, he starts off as this guy who's on his own, doing his own thing, and he grows to care about like one person at a time. Yep. And then he, you know, it's like the the the, I think it was like volume fourteen, which is like the free company where he's finally like a leader of a band of mercenaries, and it's like, and then he loses them, and he learns about what it's like to lose people in like a like a larger scale, and it's like and he grows from that. And yep. Like every adventure is like, how does this grow Conan as a character? And I always loved that. I always thought that was that was like it's a great world to explore, um, which you know, which is why you made the super serious Conan pop pop, chop chop, <laughs> Conan chop chop. There chop, we go. Chop, yeah, chop chop. Yeah, yeah, yeah which really <laughs> delves into the deeper, darker aspects of the Conan character. Yeah, that's that's fun. That game, it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I know it's cute. <laughs> it's cute. It's a it's a, like a Castle Crashes meets Roguelike kind of thing. I uh, it's I think we announced the release date. It's coming in February. So oh yeah, I got to play it at E three for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. It's fun. Yeah, no, I mean that's yeah. I I mean I so I spent like uh, the first six months of this year working on a a Conan Uncharted style game, cinematic Conan story game. Um, and then of course, like it's, it's kind of frustrating because, you know, the God of War guys keep making, <laughs> making like, you know, a really good barbarian who can also do magic and is kind of, the God. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, it, how do we make, how do we make Conan who doesn't have supernatural powers? Like, how do we make that gameplay as interesting and as exciting as something like, uh, as know, long as it's better than the old PlayStation three Conan, you'll be fine. Yeah, I, I, and and I mean, we, it got it got put on ice now that project, but uh, it was ah, really that's fun. unfortunate. It, it was a real shame because I I think we had some really nice angles on on where we were going with that. But uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. I really I really like the Conan character, but I mean I mean I'm kind of I always fall in love with the IPs. I dig into stuff, right? Like it's like Secret World was just yeah, I, I that rabbit hole. I love it. I kept going down it. I kept coming up with new places to go with it when I was when I was creative director on the project I was I um I you know the investigation missions in that game I was the content designer I wrote all of the investigation missions in the game 
at launch, I think I'd written well, them Those all. were really, really unique. And I always have trouble explaining Secret World to people because I'm like, when it launched, it had like game, it had like quests that you couldn't complete by playing the game. You had to like go <laughs> online and like find answers, which is super like, you know, there's, there's, there's a few games that have toyed with that and played with that. And it's, it's one of these things that every time a game does it, it adds so much to my experience. Right. And then like, it doesn't. It, it has never made it into the mainstream. Um, I don't know if you ever played this game called uh, Evidence of the Ritual. It's this old uh, adventure game, but it was like you had to put in your email address, and the game would email you some answers. And there was like a phone number you could call to like talk to the killer, quote quote. Mm. It was just like a phone bank, but it was like all these things outside of the the four corners of my screen, you know? Yeah, that, that blend of ARG and. That, like that ARG sort of experience, but inside a more coherent game, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's like, um, didn't EA do a game? What was that? Agent something? I thought there was an EA game that had you calling telephone numbers and stuff. It was like a mobile telephone slash. Oh, I wouldn't know. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. as we all know, EA is the devil and I have put, <laughs> put, put the devil, I have had get, Satan get behind me long ago. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'll, I'll still... It's a- it's an old one. It's from the it's from like the early two thousands. It was probably before they transitioned fully into mass murdering companies. <laughs> You've yeah. seen that classic comment of EA, where, where the comic where no. EA oh it's, it's really oh fun. it's oh yeah it's like it's like it shoots them in the back of the head. It's like taking them to the mass head. grave. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's more like the um, the Transformers uh, big bad guy, the planet sized Transformer that eats planets. Right, <laughs> just swallows yeah. them. Swallows them whole. There was a the, a toy line that never really got video games called War Planets that I played okay. as a kid. These 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 they were like um back when everything when people bought toys you know for their kids. I always wonder who owns that. It's it's a Hasbro, and okay. they're like starting to make games now. The Magic the Gathering is getting their own uh, MMO, I guess. Yeah, I saw that. Hmm, it's yeah. interesting. I'm look, looking forward to the Amazon one as well, just to see what, what they're doing there. Holy um, shit, yeah. You're the only other person I've talked to that actually stayed awake through that whole fucking show to see the um, the announcement of New Worlds, the Amazon <laughs> Studios. I, I, I'll confess, I, I, put, I had it on at work on double speed on my second monitor. So <laughs> like, I, 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 you know what? It, it's like all respect to those guys, but holy crap, that is a very commercial show. Like oh yeah, like it's kind of like it's so blatant. I'm just I, I'm just like oh okay, like I guess guess we're advertising Samsung monitors in our in our host's speech now. Okay, like yeah. So. I mean <laughs> Jeff Keeley's got to make his buck, and it is his show, you know. Yeah, so like yeah. he's got to pay every. I mean it's a huge production, so he's got to pay the bills somehow, you know. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. I understand, um, but you know Jesse and I were. Um, you know, it's funny, we, we just did uh, the discussion piece for our previous episode, uh, a little bit of behind the scenes there. Um, you know, we, we don't I, I actually shoot these on Saturday every week. Sometimes we, we, we have to bookend them because, uh, you know, life and Christmas and such. <laughs> but uh, we were just talking about the Game Awards uh, the other day and um, that, you know, you look at all the categories and you see probably the same 25 games that they pull from for all these categories. Mm. and it's 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 at a certain point the only game i saw breaking through the chaff that was like um you know actually legitimately indie was probably disco elysium disco yeah yeah and uh i, I <laughs> also shout out to... yeah i've been following that game since it was called no truce with the furies way back huh. in the day 
They, uh, yeah. I feel like it's one of those games that if you're like a mega nerd, you you would know about. But like me personally, like when it came out, I was like, what what's this? It looks interesting, <laughs> and then started getting this buzz, and a lot of people were fans of it. But I'll be interested to see if it actually gets any mainstream success because that game is like incomprehensibly weird. <laughs> yeah, sure. I I I I had a, I actually had a pretty interesting moment because my wife's a psychologist, and um, I had her come down and just play that game, and she didn't want to stop. Yeah. Right, and it was like, and and she was really interested in sort of you know the way it worked and what what was going on there. So yeah, like I I enjoyed it. It's it's kind of in the tradition of Planescape. It's got very interesting dialogue, and I kind of really enjoyed it for that. Just I, I just like I like a game that focuses in and does something really well, and it did that really well. The dialogue choices and stuff, but oh yeah, it's it's undeniably a very quality game. Yeah, and 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 they you know they they kind of they, they knew what they wanted from it, which I really liked. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's it's also kind of like yeah, I mean, is that going to be mainstream successful? Who knows? Like it's that's that's what I love about you know basically the indie space is that they can take the risks. Well, they do take the risks. I wouldn't say they can, but they do. They, yeah. they often take the risks, and then sort of what what wins out, what what becomes the the fittest, if you want, yeah. then becomes more mainstream, and eventually things from those games end up in the mainstream games, the big AAA productions. Mm-hmm. And then there's Hideo Kojima, which is <laughs> another another topic. Uh yes, Mr. Kojima. I, I did enjoy the uh, award for uh, best narrative uh, director at the Game Awards, which was the Hideo Kojima Award for Hideo Kojima is going to win this. <laughs> so, oh, who else is going to win? I guess it's Hideo Kojima for being the the industry's uh, favorite slash least favorite person forever. Yeah, he's <laughs> just such an interesting character. That's awesome. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I haven't played I haven't played Death Stranding, so I have no feedback on that game. I haven't tried it. Jesse, what was your pull quote from uh, Death Stranding? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, Highly recommend. It's like a fever dream, um, but one that you can pause and sort through your inventory. Cool. So it's like Cats, the movie. Sounds good. Oh, God. I I can't even think about Cats. It causes me too much stress. Yeah, if you have Death Stranding on one monitor and... Uh, cats on another monitor, you will ascend. I think, Jesse, the quote that everyone liked from your review was, if Slavoj Zizak were to play Death Stranding, he would instantly uh, transform into Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Awesome. Yeah, it's every single facet of the game is some kind of uh, metaphor or simile or allegory, and you start like in, in your day-to-day life, you're like getting to your car, and you're like, what does the steering wheel really mean? <laughs> Nice. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I just, you know, I, I'm enjoying having the chance to, to, to talk to you about this, this kind of stuff because, uh, you know, like I said, Funcom is at an interesting point in the industry, and um, it's been, it's, it's been weird to see kind of what you guys have, have come out with over the years because I remember when the Secret World was like announced uh 14 years before it came out you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh yeah and uh then it came out and it had this very like device it was very divisive the people that liked it and the people that hated it and Mm. this was like you know back when world of warcraft was still a good game and 
it was the the competition that you guys were going up against. So I, I guess one of the the questions I have is, you know, as someone who's as I mean, maybe as knowledgeable about the industry as I am, but uh, no, uh, as someone who has seen old old man video games, you and I are both old man video games now, <laughs> but uh, Secret World came out at a time when MMOs were hot, but they were also all getting slaughtered by World of Warcraft. Right. And, um, you know, there's certain games that come out that are the the not only the exemplar of that, genre but also slaughter everything else that tries to come out within that space do you think that there's a space for mmos now again when there wasn't before probably or what what do you think is the next what what spaces do you wish people would re-explore now <laughs> it's a yeah there's a there's a there's a business level term for this i'm just trying to remember what it is there's um innovators who are the games that come out with interesting new mechanics there's breakthroughs they're the they're like the things that come out with new mechanics. Then there's innovators who take that game style and make it better. And then there's genre definers. Um, so World of Warcraft is kind of the genre definer. Mm-hmm. When there's a genre definer, they kind of own the space. So like League of Legends kind of owns the space. Uh, there's, there's a few things there, but like in Battle Royale, you would say that uh, Fortnite came out and kind of owned the space. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, and it's a combination of factors, not not necessarily just game design that leads to that that uh, genre definer. So where do I think games are underexplored? I think the uh, it's it's hard to say. I'm not I'm not an expert at this. I haven't done the the big companies surely know far better than I do because they do a lot of data analytics around this stuff. But I think, for example, the survival space doesn't have a genre defining game yet, um, mm-hmm. which is where Funcom tends to spend our time these days. Um, the the uh, the MMO space I think could could come back in a wave um, soonish. I'm I'm very interested to see what happens with the new processing power we're going to get in the next gen consoles. Um, I feel like eventually, sort of games will converge towards this this original MMO dream of like the living world, mm-hmm. but the living world needs to be interesting enough for people to live there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think like, you know, if you if you think <laughs> really long term, like, you know, 20, 30 years when we have, you know, we'll be able to simulate proper worlds. And I think that you'll find uh, the first game that manages to do that in a way that feels very natural to people will be, you know, will be the, the owner of that space, at least for a while. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're going to see that. Um, so, yeah, I'm like I'm interested to see what comes in the new generation, because it's not just sort of like it's like you can imagine the last of us type of game but imagine that with stories like that all across an entire world generated by ai on the fly for players as they play right it's not it's not an it's not an it's not an impossible thing to happen i think um we're not there yet but you know give it a give it a few decades and we'll get there but i mean in the in the short term i i think um i think survival is one of the the genres um what else was there? So there's a few, few that sort of come to mind. I'm, I think that like the Mass Effect style game, mm-hmm. like the 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 uh, maybe Mass Effect Dragon Age style, like the party based RPG with like interesting character mechanics. I, like the Outer Worlds didn't do it. Um, it was a cool game in its own way, but kind of, you know, it was kind of it was okay. 
<laughs> if you know yeah. what I mean. It was kind of like, I, I would give it a solid seven. I really enjoyed it and I finished it the day it came out or within a couple of days of it coming out, but it was, it was, it was okay. I wouldn't. You're, you're one of the few people I feel safe uh, talking about Outer Worlds with now. Cause I was like, that was okay. Everyone's yeah. like, I was, I want to marry Parvati. And I'm like, Oh, just oh. chill. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I like, for example, there, I, I'm like, I'm like, this is the worst companion quest I've ever seen. In a game, like why am I going and getting her flowers to go on a date? I don't care. Like, no, I thought that was I thought that was cute. I, I do I personally like RPGs that like mix up between combat and dialogue in in like um, interesting ways. But uh, I don't know. I don't think her companion quest was the worst. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think no, definitely not. But I think that just just the in general the companion like but compare them to Mass Effect 2's companion quests. Right. Right. Like and and, well, and and I'm like you've had years to we've had years to innovate on this stuff so we. They were better than Mass Effect 3's companion quests, which were, hey, let's fist bump and have a. Hey, there's a really good, um, there's a really good uh, breakdown of the Mass Effect series. So my favorite in the Mass Effect series is one, by a long shot, because it's it's world building sci-fi, it's universe-driven sci-fi. Yeah. And in Mass Effect 2, they begin to focus on character drama sci-fi, and by Mass Effect 3, it's it's all the seeds that are planted in Mass Effect 2 coming to bear. It's why Mass Effect 3 is bad, because Mass Effect 2 is actually bad, but kind of got glossed over by cool character drama. Oh, so I actually I, thought Mass Effect 2 was really great in terms of design of the, the, the arcs. Like, each character had their own companion quest. Oh, I really like that. I agree, but I think they, they, they set up all these seats. So, so I guess there's like an... <laughs> and, you know, like, who am I to criticize Bioware, right? Like, this is another thing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just my personal take. But it's like the Mass Effect 1 built up this conflict, introduced the Reavers in such an interesting way. They were basically Space space Cthulhu, and they were coming back. And then, um, you know, Shepard was trying to to prove that this was going to happen, this epic large-scale thing was going to happen. And then uh, they they attack the Citadel, right? Like, in one of them, Nelly takes down everything. Right. And then the game ends, and then Mass Effect 2 is like, we're just going to reset that whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, and, they, that, and that frustrated of... me because I feel like at the end of Mass Effect 2, you're where you were at the end of Mass Effect 1. You're in the same spot. You've just gotten the crew back together, right? You don't know any more about the threat and the threat. Yeah. You, you, do you know what I mean? And then, and then the third one was kind of just, I feel like they had a really, I don't know. I feel like the, in Mass Effect 1, there was a pretty clear vision for the arc of the three games. Yeah, and I feel like in Mass Effect Two it started to get really muddied. And yeah, it doesn't mean I don't like the characters and the the character missions in Two. I just think that Two sowed the seeds. I think people wrongly blame Three for some of the things that were sown in Two, some of the mm-hmm. seeds that were sown in Two. Yeah, so that's that's all. <laughs> well, I think I think that uh, you know we gotta talk about this. You know, you were just talking about J.J. Abrams's mystery box. I think Mass Effect One is that Abrams mystery box where it's like, right. oh, there's all this pretty dressing. And then they were like, wait, what do we do with it? Like, do you remember how in Mass Effect 1 and even Mass Effect 2, they implied that the Reapers are actually created out of the compressed DNA of the entire civilization, which is why there was like a human-looking Reaper at the end of Mass Effect 2? And then Mass Effect 3, they're like, oh, no, no, they're just all space crawdads. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. And I was sure. like, what the fuck? Like, you, you just <laughs> dropped this whole plot line, and I thought that was going to be really interesting. And I, was, I always thought when I was playing Mass Effect that the arc was going to be at the end, you'd have to choose between this cycle that they go through where a race becomes like basically museumified by becoming one of these reapers in space, but their, their internal consciousness gets to live on, or the uncertainty of this 
these warring races that might wipe each other out and you could prove through the Krogans that like, you know, we have the capacity to like destroy our own species just because right. we don't want them to be, have this uh, spot on the, the universal galactic stage. Um, and then they were like, no, it's just evil space crabs. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's a, it's a cop out for sure. But that's what I mean. I, th- I think they thought more about it in the first one and they didn't quite get there in the, yeah. in the like they, 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 they I, I felt like there was a plan for what the Reapers were. And I think there was a really that really good reveal moment in Mass Effect One mm-hmm. when you find out, oh, that ship is yeah. a Reaper. Okay, but then that they ship just is alive, didn't, yeah, yeah, and then, and then they just kind of don't, they just didn't get to it, right? And it's it's just I don't know, it frustrates me because it was like, yeah, I, I, that that the, that game series I was so excited about uh, the first yeah. one in particular, I just really loved, even though you know it had game design flaws, but it was. Yeah. Uh, it was a cool game. Uh, hot take yeah. of the episode. Hot take of the episode. I liked Mass Effect Andromeda. All y'all nerds can fight me, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I I haven't gotten through it. I played a while. I, I this is a problem with me, right? I, I get too nitpicky about story stuff because right. it's kind of part of my thing. So like when I played Mass Effect Andromeda, and I think you smash your helmet and then it repairs, and yeah. then you smash your helmet again, and then your dad chooses to die. Mm-hmm. It's like I was like, what are they doing? Like, this is, like, writing 101. To, like, there right. was, there's infinite ways the dad could have died. Why did you have to make it this? <laughs> Why did you have to make it the one that you established is fine? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why? Yeah. Okay, it's a bigger hole, but still. It's like, you have one <laughs> helmet. You can just switch switch between each other and take breaths. It's like, yeah. there's so many ways around that problem. And And kind of, I don't... That's the problem for me. I don't buy into drama when people are like, like Rogue One had the same thing, right? The guy with the bad leg, Saul, is that his name? It's like, just get on the ship, dude. You don't have to sacrifice yourself nobly. No, I can't make it. <laughs> you can just walk. It's not that far. Yeah, Lawrence yeah. Fishburne's uh, gimpy rebel leader character. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 yeah, Forrest Whitaker, right? No, yeah, oh yeah. Wait, what did I say? Lawrence Fishburne? Yeah, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. similar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, their their roles as Morpheus slash as the uh, the Rogue One <laughs> guy was very similar. It's like <laughs> I am I am noble. I'm here to explain things to you. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I thought that um, yeah. Why didn't he just get on the ship? Uh, I think we could probably criticize sci-fi plots for a hundred years though, because uh, I mean, even if we're gonna like we're, if we're gonna talk about like obvious plot holes, like. You know how hard it's going to be to adapt later Dune novels with the obvious plot hole of the hole in fucking Frank Herbert's brain as he, like, got old and, like, forgot how to write books? Yeah, I, dude, I'm, I'm, so, so when we got the IP for Dune at Funcom, people were dancing in the corridors. Like, yes, this is so exciting, and it's exciting, but god damn, my job just got a lot harder. Because it's like, the expectations people have for a Conan game, which is the only other real licensed IP we have, mm-hmm. and what people think about when they think about Conan is pretty easy. I can boil it down to they've read the books, or they've read the comics, or they've seen the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Right. That's a fantasy I can boil down and I can deliver. When it comes to Dune, it's not just that they've probably read the book and seen the Lynch movie, but they also have their own interpretation of what things are in the books. Mm-hmm. And there's like a thousand, and there's a, there's there's also the message they took from the books. Like, did they take away the message that humans should not have heroes because they'll ultimately lead to a bloody jihad that kills ten billion people, or did they take away the message that this was a really cool revenge story about how a guy came back and killed his father's 
and, and took over the universe. Uh, it was or, super cool because he got the laser sword, and then he did it like super cool. Yeah, it's just like it's like it's like what is the fantasy that people expect from the Dune universe? Do they want to ride a sandworm, or do they want to be chased by a sandworm? Do they? Right. You, you know what I mean? Like it's just it's like there's, there's a whole lot of stuff to unpack. Or there. if you go into later fucking Frank Herbert books, become a sandworm. Yeah, that's 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 fine. And then I'm get like, killed as a sandworm. Like, is that your fantasy? Is you want to die as a sandworm? Have your noble my, sandworm death? Like, oh, um, okay. My producer and I were joking about the most effective projectile on June being a water pistol. Because <laughs> if a sandworm comes for you, just shoot it with a water pistol. It's fine. Yeah, and then Super it'll die. Soaker. Super um, soaker. And then yeah. there's uh, there's of course you have to talk about the Brian Herbert prequel books where the the the, the war the Butlerian Jihad series. Yeah, which is kind of mass effecty, funnily enough. Yeah, well, I mean, and honestly, it's it's more of a a, a comprehensible good guy bad guy narrative. You know, yeah. the bad machines, good guys with their spaceships. That'll probably be an easier game to make because all you have to do is make bad robots blow up. <laughs> it would be a much simpler game, I think, than than uh, yeah, than the, than the sort of you know the ecological. Uh, epic that uh, dune itself is but you know like i i enjoy the challenge i think it's really fun that's why i i go i get into these deep dives into the ip and it's like it's like okay like i i see i like looking through the sort of the maze of information and trying to find the the thread that i can pull on that kind of makes it all go oh yeah okay shiny this will work yeah i mean I think with Dune, it's a good fit because uh, with what you guys do with these like offshoot games that are of completely different genres, because you know, like the park is a completely different game than the Secret World, and Moons of Madness is very different than the other things, and Hide and Shriek is very <laughs> different than the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it's all within the same quote world, and Dune it, it allows you to create all these different styles of games and explore different parts of the world. You know. Yeah, exactly, and and you know, it's a universe, and it's really interesting. The 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 games like um, the park. Hide and Shriek, I can tell you some sort of backstory around those because they're kind of interesting. Yeah, go ahead. So so, so the Secret World, um, you know, the MMO was out, it was going fine. And then um, we, we were talking about our internal technology, Dreamworld, which is our MMO engine, was kind of out of date. And we needed to switch to a, a more modern render setup. And so we were discussing Unreal, which was Unreal 4 at the time, was sort of was uh, just sort of coming out and being starting to be used now it's used for everything but at the time it was kind of new and we said um my, my boss said to me like can you make a game in three months using unreal and i said well i can but it'll be <laughs> it'll be a walking simulator because it has to be simple like that's mm-hmm. the game i can make in three months and he was like that's fine just just make a make a demo i want you got you and a couple of artists and designers to learn how to use unreal he's like and the best way to do it i think is to make a small game it's not going to be released and I was like, cool. So then we just we, we, like put together a design, picked a location in the secret world that worked, and then I wrote like this story, you know, this. And then, um, and then uh, three months later, we had a little demo, and my boss said, okay, well, I think we should release this at Halloween. That gives you three more months. What do you think? I'm like, okay, we'll do it. So we that was kind of the, <laughs> the whole impetus for that game. I mean, I had I had you know whenever I write something, I'm always thinking, like like my you know my wife and I. We had had our, our second kid around that time, and um, and I had been reading a lot about postpartum depression. Uh, mm-hmm. It's quite funny because I see a lot of people miss. Uh, they say that they say that the park is clearly based on the Bubba Duck movie, but I hadn't mm-hmm. seen the Bubba Duck movie when I wrote the park. I didn't mm-hmm. even know about it, so it's kind of it's kind of funny. But uh, apparently, 
it was on people's mind that year. Um, yeah. So I, I was, obviously I, you didn't base it off of the Babadook because then you would have had to have like you know started the game like a week before it came out. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was just funny. I just I thought it was interesting that there was a very similar kind of story that year. Um, but anyway, like so th- that was the park, and then then uh, and it, it you know the park did pretty well for what it is. Mm-hmm. Right, like we didn't have any expectations for it to do anything. It was just kind of like, oh, let's get this little horror game out that we made. Um, it's a bit of a walking sim, like it's pretty basic, but you know, we learned a fair bit about Unreal, and uh, you know, let's get it out there. And we got it out, and it did pretty well. And then the next year, we were like, okay, what's 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 the next thing? And and uh, we the boss decided like, oh, let's get the US guys to do a Halloween game. Mm-hmm. And and then we would what we'd seen with the park was that we had a lot of people who didn't buy the game, but they watched it on YouTube or they yeah. watched streamers, right? And it's like a two-hour game, so of course. It's like one and a half mm-hmm. to two hours long, so of course. And the the then we had this other theory that was like, okay, what if we make a game that's really cool to watch on streams, but you kind of want to buy it to, to be a part of it because every game is different? And that was Hide and Shriek. Hide and Shriek was like a, an, experiment, an experiment to see how Twitch slash YouTube viewership of a multiplayer game that is not you know, a single narrative affects sales of that kind of game. Mm-hmm. So that was also a pretty interesting experiment. Um, didn't, which, didn't do as well, though. No, it, it, no, it didn't. But it, it taught us a lot. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of interesting. And then, and then you know, Kodano, like we, we kind of do these little, I would say like big companies probably have this giant database that they can just use to pull out the data they need. Whereas mm-hmm. we don't have, like we don't have an analytics department, we're too small for that. So we just have to sort of make... You know, we make we make we make guesses or we do these little experiments just to see. Moons of Madness, on the other hand, it's it was made by an external company called Rock Pocket mm-hmm. Games, um, and they were um, making a space Martian horror game, and we were talking to them about you know making something with us, and I sort of was talking to the <laughs> the lead designer Aaron, and just sort of went, oh. Like, dude, this is totally the secret world already. Like, you already have, like, black slimy tentacle stuff. It's called the filth in secret world. And we just kind of aligned that, okay, that, like, this would, this would be no problem to slide right into the secret world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't really have to change anything, just a few names and things of, of what they were calling substances and things like that. But it really fitted sort of straight into the universe. Um, so it originally started out as kind of the Martian, uh, with cosmic horror. If you want, that was kind of the pitch, the elevator pitch for the game, but it, it changed a little bit during the course of development, but yeah. Yeah, which is probably why you don't uh, see any other people for most of the game, is because it was supposed to be kind of like the Martian with Cosmic Horror, which is that you're the only person. So, in the in the very first, <laughs> it's a spoiler now, but in the very first version of the game, um, he, Shane killed everybody in the crew, and he mm. was alone on Mars. And the guy talking to him on the radio was his a voice in his head, mm-hmm. um, telling him, you know, the, the the character that's Declan now was yeah. uh, talking to him all the time and and sort of had all these sort of sly witticisms that kind of you were like, hmm, what's what's why did that guy say that that way? And you find out later that it's the part of his brain that remembers what he actually did, and he mm-hmm. sort of blocked it off. And so so yeah, there was there were no crew members. <laughs> Let's put it that way <laughs> in the first draft of the game. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah, it was, it was a good take as well. Like it just it just wasn't possible to release it because it was too ambitious. That version. yeah, we had to streamline it a bit. Well, I think it, I think it worked 
pretty well, like in the end. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious when you, so Secret World is like one of these things where you own the IP. So if you want to slot a game into it, it's kind of like your guys's call. But when you when you acquire an IP like Conan or <clears throat> Dune or something like that, I'm just curious. I mean, I'm not saying that you would do this, but would it would you guys be even legally allowed to say, oh, this is part of the Secret World now? Oh, you mean like the IP itself? Yeah. Like, like saying that Dune and Secret World take place in the same universe? Yeah. Uh, I don't think we'd be allowed. <laughs> I don't know. I always joke internally that Anarchy Online, Conan, and Secret World take place in the same universe, just in different time periods. <laughs> and I and and Secret World and AO are fully Funkel owned. So occasionally I put I put comments like there is a there is a there is a dagger you can get in Conan Exiles, which is from Secret World. And the, hmm. the item description for that dagger basically implies that they're the same universe. Yeah, but, but that's that, like that, more that's, of a fun little Easter egg, you know? Yeah, that's just me being fun. I don't think, uh, because, because the IP rights for, for the different, like, we have a company, like, we have a holding company called Heroic Signatures, mm-hmm. which has the PC game rights to the Conan universe, half shared with a company called Cabinet. Cabinet have the comic book, movie, TV, and half the video game rights, right? And we yeah. share that. We, and so, so, like, they, it would water down their stuff if, if things were put into our IPs, I guess. So, yeah. Oh, the wonderful it? world of copyright law. Oh, yeah. It's fun. But, you know, we're lucky, right? We, we, we get these, we, we've been lucky to have these, um, these IPs. Like, Conan is just such a, it's a, it's a cool IP with a much bigger world, I think, than people realize. And it's sort of, it's a B tier IP. It's not Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. And Dune is a bit the same, though I wonder if the movie next year will change that. But but Dune is like it hasn't really been a. It's everyone knows about it. Everybody's heard of Conan and everybody's heard of Dune, but nobody really has. It's not like Star Wars where you have a very clear and expect set of expectations around them. Yeah, so, I would say that Dune is more like a B plus IP, and Conan yeah. is more of a B minus. Sure. Like yep. in terms of like the the ubiquity of popularity. <laughs> I I think a lot of people know Conan because of the uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Not a lot of people know it because of the... um, Oh, God, who's the guy that wrote it? Robert E. Howard. Yeah, I was going to say Robert E. Howard, but I couldn't remember if Robert E. Howard was the guy that wrote the Scientology stuff. No, that's L. Ron Hubbard. Okay. L. Ron Hubbard. Sorry. It's all these letters and white guy (laughs) names. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, not a lot of people know about, you know, the Robert E. E. Howard connection um yep. or you know a lot of the other stuff that he wrote like you know solomon kane or anything like that mm. which would i would always love to see a solomon kane game i think that would be cool oh keep tuned my friends i might have good Ooh. news for you one day that'd be, that'd be <laughs> fantastic but uh yeah jesse what do you what do you got do you have any more questions here um what's your favorite dinosaur no um oh, I... let's see <laughs> oh what okay uh, no, go ahead and answer. It's it's his it's his uh, it's his every episode. Yes, what the favorite dinosaur is, and I think it's the ankylosaur. Which one is that? Ooh. It's the one with the club tail. The club oh, tail. Good dinosaur. choice. Yeah. Like the big flat turtle. Yeah, with the club nice. tail. I, I I always liked the idea of the club tail when I was young. Good yeah, choice. it's pretty dope. Um, I don't know. I was just gonna say I look forward to the uh, Xena Warrior Princess uh, MMO. <laughs> Be fun. I could do, I could do a good Xena. Xena you know she's what? From, she's from New Zealand too, so. I think that the Xena IP would sell as an MMO specifically, and uh, you, Jesse, your 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 last firing neurons might have hit on a good idea here. 
which is uh, MMOs now are like a majority of female audience in general. And to have like a warrior princess MMO might might sell gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I'd take credit for it when you do it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. I'll, 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 if we do it, I'll put them with special thanks. And I'll send you a check. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> awesome. But, uh, yeah, Jesse, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up before we uh, close out here? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, um, Joel, this was this was really great. We got to dive into a lot of things that uh, we we don't normally. Uh, you were very candid with a lot of the inner workings of the the company, which is really really nice. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything <laughs> we, don't, we don't do PR training at Funcom, so no doubt I'll be in trouble come Monday. I so I met your I met your PR person uh, for Conan Exiles. It's this lady, uh, brown hair, green eyes, very well dressed. Oh, I have her card. Let me look real quick. Um, Be Natasha, right? Natasha. Oh, I think so. I uh, very kind of. Uh, I mean, she's like. So you go to E3, right? And you see this like sea of horribly dressed nerds, and then there's like a few people that look like they know what they like how to like dress themselves in the morning. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, those are the PR people. Yeah. yeah, she was she was one of those, and she was I was talking to her about Conan Exiles, and she's like, we need more people to write about it because um, I think it does. Here we go, Funcom, uh, Natasha Rusli. Yeah, she's she's Swiss. She's lovely. She's uh she's I, she's uh if I recall correctly, her title is director of PR and community. So yeah, that's what her it's her card said, uh, community uh, coordinator or something like that. Okay, yeah. So, Maybe it's an older card, but uh, no, I, I don't. I'm terrible with titles, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always the guy at some point when they're like, "Let's do the credits." I'm like, "Just put a list of names. It's easier." <laughs> like, like, like if someone really wants to know what you did on the project and you're applying for another job, they'll call. It's fine. That's the reality of working in indie games, right? Like, uh, we've this is kind of the tale of the tape when we interview people is that they're like, I am the technically this, but I also do these 17 other things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like well, you need to translate the game into, like, German, and then you just have a dude in the office that speaks German. Guess what? You're the one that's checking <laughs> the German translations. He's not the one translating it. That's going off to some dude in India that's getting paid, like, X dollars to do it. But he's the one checking to make sure that translations yeah. are Played correct. In you know? Played in German. Otherwise, you'll get in trouble. Fine. <laughs> Ugh, I never play games in German. <laughs> you do catch a lot of really bad translation errors that way, actually. Funnily enough. Yeah, it's so true. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, no. The title thing, I just think it's like, it's like when you're when you're going to do a credit screen, and there's always like this weird discussion about like, oh, this person did five things. Should they be in the credits five times? And I'm like, just just put a list of names and. You know, because I don't think when I apply for jobs in the future that they're going to go and check the credits of the games I worked on to see what I did. I think they'll probably <laughs> just call somebody at Funcom and be like, hey, did Joel really do what he said? So, How long have you been at Funcom, by the way? It sounds like a uh, long time. Yeah, it's my only industry gig. Um, so 2008, I started. Wow, no, 2007, yeah. 2007, dude. So there you go. You started working at Funcom the year before I graduated high school. Wow, there you go. I told you I'm old. Yeah, how old do you feel now? No, you know, I'm I'm actually pretty okay with being old. It's fine. I'm enjoying it. I just turned 30, and I feel like I'm going to die, like, any day now. Like, my life is (laughs) over. Oh, you've got 10 good years of fun. I'm turning 40 in a couple of months, so. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And and it's that inevitable, like, you know, people like, oh, you're 40. Like, well, you've got, you're halfway through if you follow the average. You're halfway through it, man. 
Yeah. And I'm kind of like, yeah, it's been a, it's, it hasn't been a bad half so far. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty happy with how it's going. So yeah, I feel like well, I need to suffer more just to make my life justifiably, <laughs> you know, justifiably worse so I can do great art. We, yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, like you gotta suffer more just so you can have that indie cred. It's like yeah. not for any, like, you know, it's it's all just so that you can continue to make better sales. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you know, you, I gotta go starve. I gotta, Funcom's gotta start paying me a dollar a month or something so that I can be a <laughs> artist and get my motivation. No, yeah. I don't know. It's it's an interesting. That is an interesting thing, though, right? Like I, I think you see it a lot that a lot of the filmmakers and, and authors their best work is done when they're younger and then there's people who, are, who do their best work when they're older so I kind of I'm always trying to figure out I'm always looking at that creative thing it's like that it's like um I don't know do you know do you know Brennan Sanderson you know his novels no I don't what did he write um The Way of Kings he wrote the Mistborn trilogy mm. um but he's like I really like his approach he's I think he's either my age or a little bit older than me and he's like it's a job I go to work each yeah. day and I write for eight hours. And he writes some of the best fantasy novels there are. So, I, Well, uh, you know, what you're talking about with the, the suffering is that, you know, you have someone like Cormac McCarthy, who's pro- probably the best contemporary American novelist. And his, you know, his entire inspiration for the book The Road was about, like, being starving and, like, having – because he wasn't successful. He wasn't, didn't find yep. success until he was, like, 70. Yep. And um, and then on the other hand, when you're talking about the people that only wrote better when the good and the men are young – you know, a lot of these these classic uh, American novelists, as we see them, like uh, the Hemingways and the Fitzgeralds, like they were good when they were young, and then they were racked with alcoholism for years, and they didn't produce anything. And yep. uh, they they created this myth of the the drug-addled alcoholic writer that you know also Hunter S. Thompson was very heavily contributing to. That doesn't really like it doesn't functionally exist. Like everyone that I know. That's like an alcoholic writer. They might be able to come out with a good article like once a month, but everyone that I know that's like a working professional, like they're not drinking while they're doing their fucking job, you know? Huh. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm torn on that. Like, because I obviously I do all the writing for our games, and it's, it's like, it's so much easier to write if you've had a few drinks. Like so much, it just flows a lot faster. I'm not saying it's good. It's just you get more on the page. I think. <laughs> it's well, but, but, you know, I, yeah, I agree. Like, I'm certainly not an alcoholic and I don't drink all the time. But it's like, it's like I've noticed that, like, yeah, after a couple of whiskeys, it does flow a bit faster. <laughs> I, I used to feel that way. And um, this is back when I was, was drinking super heavily. But I used to feel that way. But as I've gotten older, I find that what, it, what, what more of what it did for me was it granted me uh, a, a feeling of slight inner peace that now as long as I and, – and that inner peace allowed me to let go of my inhibitions and then – yeah. begin to like let the ideas flow but I've, I've found other ways to do that now that are more healthy and i feel that so many so many people i know uh that are creative types fall into the pit of like substance abuse and it's 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 yeah. fucking tragic there's so many creative people that like lose their fucking lives to this shit you know yeah, and exactly. um yep. i think that that myth of that you have to you know do acid to be any good at writing or you have to be drink heavily to come up with your best ideas. It's just it's just not true. There is oh, a, there is I a mean, benefit that, that I agree with. It's it's definitely not true. And 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 there's a there's a there is it's it's a it's a job, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the thing. You know, if you follow the, I, I guess I the way I see it, I've worked with some people who are extremely talented, like really, really, really good writers. Like and and there's like I would say it's it's ninety eight percent hard work. And then there's there's people who have the talent that just lifts them a little higher, right? But they're 
it's it's if you can do the if you do the ninety eight percent of the hard work, you you'll be fine. You're up there anyway. You're still in the top ten percent. Oh it's, yeah. Like that's kind of the way I see it as well. But I, I just mean the actual act of writing. Sometimes I just feel like after <laughs> whiskey or two, it goes faster. <laughs> you know, it's and what you're talking about with it mostly being hard work to do this job. And you know, that's kind of one of the things we always like to ask people is like how they got this job, how they do it. Um, but like. The thing is, is with writing, it is, it is a, it, it's a, it's a job. You have to like sit down and, and do it, you know? Yep. And, um, I get asked a lot by people, uh, that know me that are like, Hey, how do you like start doing the journalism thing? And I was like, well, you gotta like eat shit for like six years and then mm-hmm. maybe you'll make it, you know? Like you yeah. just gotta really grind and you can't stop because things get in the way. I mean, I, I'm the last guy I know that like when we all when I had a group of people out of college that were all going to start being writers together that actually stuck with it because you just like you can't let the lumps the lumps get to you you know you gotta keep fucking trucking and it's it's it sounds cliche but like some oftentimes the people in this industry that like uh, and I'm talking about my side of the industry the the creative side the the yep. journalist side whatever they're not the best they're the last man standing you know. Right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about game development and, you know, the, the, the horrible work hours people have to put in and these kind of things as well. And, and, you know, I've been through some of that. Um, Age of Conan was particularly bad. Like, I think we had an eight month crunch on that project. But, but, but like, you know, like it's, it's kind of like, well, I, I feel like it's sort of hard because, as a company, you have a responsibility to look after people. But on the other hand, it's like, it's the people who are willing to do that work, who really are that passionate, that kind of are still standing, right? The other people, yeah. you know, but, but you, the thing is, I think it's like wrong to officially expect it of people. I think that companies, you know, need to look after people. But if, you, you also see that like, you know, give me, a, give me a team of, uh, of five guys who work till 3 a.m every day because they really, really believe in what you're doing and then don't ever make them do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the, you, you want, you want that passion, but you don't want that, that uh, level of, you know, cause it kill, it does kill people. It burns them out. I've seen oh, it. And God, it's yeah. just, it's horrible. Right. Yeah, but, that's uh, the, and that's the balance is they have to find out how to, how to, we're, we're all supposed, supposedly artistic people here. We're, we're trying to take a group of artists and then putting a, a time, a time frame on them and it's gonna it's gonna that that kind of shit gets ugly because especially when you're coming towards time of the ending of your of your uh uh the ending of your project it's it's gonna like lead to some pretty intense hours and especially around like convention time like you don't sleep during e3 <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think i think i think the i think i have a friend um who i used to work with for a long time tanya uh, 10 years short and she's very adamant about this stuff um and she always says that you know anytime the team has to crunch it's a failure of management to plan and i agree with that i think that's that's correct like you you need to sort of scope the game to what you're trying to deliver um and yeah but 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 it's kind of like it's having a team of people who are also willing to go the extra mile even if they even if you they sh- you shouldn't be asking them to and even if you know you do fail in your scoping it's kind of like you you don't want to um yeah, you just got, I don't know, it's, it's such a hard thing, right? Because there is something mm-hmm. to be said for it, for, for, for like, you know, passion and, and people who are interested and, you, you know, who, who, who are the type of people you want to be in the trenches with? Yeah. The type of people who are going to, who are going to, you know, live and eat this stuff because they're there for it. 
I think you put it perfectly when you said you want a team of people that are willing to work till you know 3 a.m. every day and then just not forcing them to do that. Yeah, I never ask them to. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the philosophy I'd have. But it's it's it, you know, then then the question is how do you find people who are willing to do it without seeing them through it, right? <laughs> so that's the other side. Yeah, it's difficult. It's tough. It's a tough. It's always the problem. You know, it's always a problem. Like you hear all this. I think it's you know just this weird crap that that the internet sort of spews out about, you know, people get divided into generations and it's like, oh, millennials versus Zoomers versus boomers. But, and it's just like, I don't know, like I've worked with enough people in my career to be able to tell yeah. you that it has nothing to do with age or generation. It's just who people are. And no, yeah, people, that's exactly you know, right. It's, it's, got, it's, it's uh, I don't the know. The reason that we consider, you know, certain boomer, that we consider boomer mindset to be the harder workers is not necessarily that they are actually harder workers it's just that the people in those positions are tend to be the ones that have been doing it longer and they they're, they're the, the ones of that generation that were the harder workers that rose to the, the to the to the positions that they're in because of their they were just the ones that worked harder in that generation and we see them because they're still there you know yeah absolutely and 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 you know there's also there's also something to be said about the whole you know approach to like like I don't get my fulfillment out of my work through you know my, the money that I get paid. It's, it's like I do it for the, the job that I like, right? And I'm very fortunate because I'm married to a psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she makes, you know, she makes more money. I always like to joke that I'm her trophy husband, which is why I'm in such good shape, but I'm not in good shape at all. But, um, <laughs> but like, but like, I feel like not everyone has that option and there's, there's nothing wrong with people expecting to get paid for working hard. And there's not, nothing wrong with people being paid for, for doing good work. Um, so I, you know, it's there's always a conundrum, right, in in this industry, like because it's there's so many people who want to get into it, yeah, and and it's easy to how do you say exploit, I guess, that eagerness, mm-hmm. and I think it's uh it's kind of it's about companies taking the, you know, the responsibility for people for the people who work for them as well and making sure that they are well compensated for what they do, yeah, but you know at the same time people have got to bring that passion, they got to bring it to the table. Well, and you know, at the my 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 friend Remy has a very strong opinion on the fact that you know he thinks that the game 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 developers will never unionize because it's such a cutthroat industry where uh, you, your your potential for advancement is like really heavily based on you know if you can perform, and so to like tie yourself down to a union would heavily uh, hamper your upward mobility. And he said for that reason, we'll never see these standardized you know labor laws of you can't have this crunch and shit like that. It's it's kind of interesting because I guess in the U.S. it works differently. In Norway, there's a there's a union called the Electric El, Electrical and IT Workers Union, and it's mm-hmm. one of the more powerful unions in Norway. And 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 like lots of people at the company are in that union. Hmm, that's interesting. They, that, yeah, we don't have that in the states. Right, and it's just like a you know it entitles them to like representation and you know lawyers and all this kind of stuff, and they have to there's a percentage of their salary but it's it's voluntary right like i'm not in that union but also mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm also one of the if you want fat cats in the company i'm i'm in the <laughs> i'm in the upper layer of management so you know there's there's not i i don't think i don't see myself as the kind of person who needs union protection in that sense right yeah but uh, but you know 10 years ago when i was doing you know on age of corona 12 years ago 13 whatever it is on Age of Conan when I was crunching a lot, that's the period when maybe it would have been nice to have that. And I could have joined voluntarily in Norway. They have, it's, it's there as an option. Yeah. So, so but, uh, yeah. to, 
to, to wrap up here, because we're, we're approaching the uh, uh, four-hour mark, not really, but... Uh, <laughs> sorry. No, it's, it's all been, good. It's, it's been a I'm, fun meandering conversation. I've enjoyed it. Well, you know, the great thing about this is that we're not going to have to shoot a discussion topic for this week, because we've already covered all the discussion that we want to do. <laughs> so, like, a little bit of behind the scenes in the weeds here is we usually do, like, a discussion and then an um, uh, uh, interview. And we break it up, and we don't have the interview person be on the discussion generally, because we don't want them to feel... Like, they can't talk about certain things because they're going to ruin their careers, whatever. You know, it's like, if we're talking about, like, uh, games that we don't like, we don't want to bring someone on them and be like, oh, but what if I have to work with those people in the future? Because they always feel awkward about it. But you were just like, yeah, I like this, I don't like this. It's like, oh, cool, I guess we can just talk about shit now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, surely, surely, surely people are understanding enough to, to I, I hope, I mean, this is my, my probably my single biggest naive point, is that I, I generally believe people aren't you know, they don't get offended by the fact that you say something perhaps critical about their work, as long as you, you know, preface it by saying, of course I wasn't there and I don't know what led to it being this way, right? Because yeah. that's, the, you know, and and believe me, I worked on Conan Exiles. I worked on Age of Conan. I worked on Secret World. I know how bad I can make things in a game. Trust <laughs> me. And I've, I've read players telling me that for years, so I'm kind of like, I certainly don't put myself above other people in, in the sense that I think I'm doing a better job than they are. Yeah. I mean, most people don't get offended when you just say, I don't like your game. Unless, of course, you're Phil Fish. <laughs> Hot take of the episode. Oh, dear. Um, so I guess, the, yeah, let me wrap up real here real quick with the question. Um, you know, you, like you said, you started off as a quest designer, and now you're the CEO, Chief Creative Officer. Yeah. How, if someone wants to follow that path, how, how would they do it? What, what did you do? I think I... I mean, how 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 wishy washy do you want this to be? How, um, how... Give give actionable advice to people that really okay. want to make it in the industry. You, you you are a new person in a company, so people don't know who you are. They don't know what your skill set is, and you don't know how the company works. So your job is to first of all ask questions to try and understand what you need to do, and to become valuable in some way to the day to day activity of the company. So. As a quest designer, the the thing that I tried to do was I had a the, the company has goals. They want a game to do X, right? And say when I started on Age of Conan, it was like we need 30 quests for this playfield. Okay, I will come up with 30 quest ideas and I will write the dialogue for that. And that's the company goal: deliver 30 quests. But the the goal I had in my head, and the goal that I pursued on my own, was that I also want every game reviewer who writes about this game to mention one of my quests in the game review. Mm. And and so that was my personal goal. And when the game reviews came out, that was I basically achieved that. And then uh and that and that to me that was like that was the success that I was aiming for, right? Like it was like I want to make quests that are interesting enough that that people will talk about them outside of Funcon, right? I want people externally to notice. So I set myself an external goal. And so I encourage designers to do that. Like, it's not just about what the company wants. It's also you need to think about, like, how can I make this something that is memorable to players or to people touching the game? And then I think from there, what happened was, well, people talked about my quests. Um, then I was, then my boss took notice of me, uh, as a higher up boss, and then he promoted me to a lead designer for the expansion. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the expansion, I had a new personal goal, and that was, you know, 
to make sure that the expansion reviewed above a certain um, Metacritic. And because I was a lead designer, my goals started to align more and more with the company goals, obviously, because you start to move into the high level position and you start to move, your goals start to align more and more. So that was kind of always my, always my, my approach. I just tried to sort of set myself personal goals on every project that were in line. So for example, the secret world, I wanted to prove the investigation mission thing could actually be something unique as a selling point and that people would talk about it and that every article about the game would mention the investigation missions and, and mention them in a positive way. And I think we succeeded in that. So, I mean, I think, yeah, those, those, I think, I think it's really about finding the thing that you personally can do that can, that, that can also, you know, make, um, people talk about it. And it, it's, it's hard because like, if you're the guy polishing the animation um, on the, you know, the, shol- the soldier attack in uh, Call of Duty, you're one of 500 people, it's a Kogan machine, uh, you don't have that freedom. And I don't know, I don't really have much to say to you except, the other thing is just be a good team member. Be be the guy or girl that people come to eventually, right? Be the be the person that people come to to ask questions. You know you're a senior designer when you're when you're teaching other people how to do your job. Mm. Mm. Thank you. That's a great answer. Cool. Sorry, and I know it was a bit long winded, but I tend to be. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I, I think that people want that kind of serious, deep 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 dive, which is why we're doing this. I mean, I I I hope that. When people hear you say things like that, they think, you know, I can do this too, instead of, wow. Because the, 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 the industry, when you're looking at it from the outside, can seem like such a monolithic, impenetrable blob, you know? Oh. And um, they forget that it's made up of individuals that once entered that blob as the, the first, <laughs> as like a small little cog that they're assimilating into the machine, but then eventually becomes a bigger cog. Your cog can grow, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And Especially I th- I if you have this- a cog slider. If it's just getting into the, <laughs> if it's just getting your foot in the door, I, I always like the, the one sort of salient piece of advice that I tell people is just, for God's sake, make mods, like just just do something with a mod kit. Yeah, that, it's, uh, it's, the people that made the Forgotten City mod for Skyrim, they're coming out with a full game now. Yeah, it's dude, it's crazy. Like we had a we had a junior designer position posted mm-hmm. at Funcom um, last year. We had a hundred and sixty applications for the job and i was like I, I just told hr screen them by how many of them opened the mod kit yeah there were five of the 160 who opened the mod kit the game has a mod kit you're applying for a job on it just <laughs> open it play around with it for six hours it's like half of one day just go around and just go play with it for six hours and then you can honestly say in a hr screening yeah i've played with the mod kit i've made a mod like it's really that simple i i i feel like it's yeah, it's frustrating to me because I feel like, but you know, this is just, of course, me being frustrated because I'm an old grumpy man. But it's like <laughs> I, 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 I see this all the time. Like it's it, it's strange to me that people don't prepare for like interviews or they just don't like you know. It's like oh, this company makes games. I'm going to apply for a job there. Maybe I should know what games they've made, and maybe I should you know. Oh, they have a tool set. Maybe I should have a look at that. Right. Yeah. And it's it's and it's. It's just, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's sort of common sense. Maybe it's something my parents drilled into me or something that, that isn't that common knowledge for other people. But it feels like if you apply for a job, know their products, have played their games at least for a few hours just so that you can talk about them confidently. And if they have a mod kit, play around with it a little bit. You don't have to do much more than that to at least be able to confidently discuss things. And if you, if you don't have an education in game design, 
or anything. I think just having made a few mods will teach you a lot of stuff very quickly. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Thank you. That's perfect. Rant over. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to get in the industry, uh, try making games. Apparently, that's what you need to do to get into the games industry. So uh, that's what people say. Good. It's good advice there, and it's really solid advice. And a lot of people I know that are in the industry that are working professionals, they didn't start. The, the, their first exploration into making games wasn't their first paid gig. It was going to a game jam. It was playing around with mod tools. It was. Y- 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 if you want to make it, it's really got to be your passion. And. Uh, Anyways, uh, Joel, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Funcom is a large company that makes lots of games. They just got the Dune, Dune license, not the Doom license. That's different. Uh, I, I wish I had a, your Australian accent so I could Dune versus Doom. You well, know, I say, I used to say, I used to say, I say, say it like this. I say June, and people Dune. go, "What's happening in June?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, no, yes, no, yes, no, no June." And they're like, "What's happening in June?" I'm like, "Ah, oh. okay." So now I sort of. When I'm talking to Americans, I sort of make sure I, I say, like, Dune with the yeah. duh, or duh sound in there, because otherwise yeah. it just comes across. Yeah, I, I've had people confused at work, and, and you know, there's, like, 40 different nationalities, so I understand why people get confused. Everyone speaks oh, a different accent. The wacky spa- space worm jihad adventures. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually basically it. There's going to be a lot of drug taking in the game, that's all I'm saying, or spice, <laughs> if you will. So. Yeah, the spice must flow. <laughs> exactly. Directly into my mouth. Just mm, <laughs> spice. Uh, but yeah, so you know, if you're if you're listening and uh, you want to check out Moons of Madness, it's uh, you can. I have a review for that up on Dread XP. But I would definitely say uh, Conan Exiles of that style of survival game, best one out there. Uh, that's my personal take. I really do think it's the best one out there. I'm not just saying that because I like the guest. Uh, Appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll get to see more, uh, a new Secret World 2 at some point in the future, because I know a lot of fans are looking for that. So. Oh, man. Oh, I, I, oh, don't, don't even. Yeah, my, my, I just need to prove to my boss that I can make a lot of money, and I'm, I'm there. I think, I think it's, I think all you need to do is release a few precursor apps that, uh, kind of get people back into the world of the game to build mm-hmm. hype, and then, Say that you're not going to make it, and then secretly reveal that you are making it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we we, we can call we can call um whatever whatever Dune game we happen to make in the future, we should call it AO2 Arrakis Ooh. Online. Oh, Arrakis Online, that would be good. <laughs> Just to mess with people. Yeah, but that would be good. And that is, that, is, that is me neither confirming nor denying anything to do with it being a multiplayer game or anything like that. I'm just saying it's. Uh, that would Dude, be drugs with your friends too. online, Dune online, <laughs> Second Life, but with Dune. Oh God. Uh, anyways, I got We got to get going though. So Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, no check out all the rest of our podcasts over at uh, dreadxp.com. And uh, you know, thank you for joining us. Uh, we got some cool episodes coming up, depending on the uh, order that we edit them all in. So uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, bye. That for myself. He who controls the spice controls spice. And what Piter did not tell you is we have control of someone who is very close, very close to spice. This person, this treasure, will be worth more to us than ten legions of spice. And who is this? Ten legions of spice.